Well, yeah, but those library books are on your TBR, aren't they? Totally. Sometimes the new release section is kind of a swirly vortex. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 205. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, sometimes podcasting doesn't go as planned. Schedules conflict, last-minute emergency strike, this flu sneaks up on us, I lose my voice during pollen season, and any of those situations can end with a guest canceling their recording at the last minute. That happened recently here at What Should I Read Next headquarters, and we needed someone to record on short notice, right away, to avoid a hole in our release schedule. Luckily, there was an obvious answer, tapping into our Patreon community. We asked who would be available to record within 48 hours. Enter Addie Yoder, a farm wife, she calls herself, who needed happy ending book recommendations to read during harvest season. I couldn't imagine a more fall appropriate guest. So today, Addie and I are chatting about libraries that are not free, books that lend us a little distance from real life when we need it, and the best time of year for a happily ever after. Let's get to it. Addie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Do you want to share in your own words the story of how we happen to be talking today? (laughs) I was at lunch with friends and I walked there and I was checking my email just like real quick and I saw the email pop up that you posted in our Patreon group that you were looking for a last minute guest and I actually deleted it. I didn't read all the words and I deleted it and I thought, wait, I need to look at that again. And so I pulled it back up and I filled out the last minute form on a street in the town where I was at that day, like in five minutes, I thought I can't miss this. And so I just filled it out really fast and submitted it so fast (laughs) that I missed half the questions and had to email Brenna and be like, (laughs) well, thank you for stepping into the breach. So that reveals a little about our process on what should I read next, which we've talked about some to patrons and our behind the scenes, ask Anne anything and conversations with our producer, Brenna. I know that there are a lot of podcasts that work on extremely tight turnarounds because they're talking about current events. So they record Monday night and it goes up Wednesday morning. Or Tuesday morning. Yeah, our show isn't like that. We like to have audio in the bank so we can spend lots of hours. Usually it's five to eight hours editing an episode to make it sound good. And we had somebody cancel and we didn't have any audio in the bank. And so we asked our patrons to to fling themselves into the breach. And holy smokes, we got a lot of submissions really, really quickly, which we appreciate so much. So if you're a patron and you're listening, thank you. And Addie, I'm so glad we get to talk. Me too. Tell me a little bit about your situation in life, because I don't know that there's a normal way to be a reader in the world, but I imagine that the percentage of people whose lifestyle resembles yours is quite small. Actually, I'm a big nerd and I know numbers on that. My husband and I farm and it's actually less than 2% of America is a farmer. So no, there's not a ton of people that have my lifestyle. We live extremely rural and we farm in the Northeast corner of Missouri and raise corn and soybeans. And so I stayed home with my kids and the youngest started kindergarten this year. Books for me are kind of like company. They are just my way of like having interaction with people sometimes because my husband is so busy on the farm 
He works from, I mean, literally sun up to sundown and sometimes later, especially during the fall season. And so it's just a way for me to have a little bit of vacation, especially when my kids, you know, take over the TV and (laughs) many other entertainment options. I'm a city girl, but when I went to college, I had a roommate who came from farm country and her boyfriend was a farmer. Like he was coming into the next generation of family farming. I remember that she was not around much during harvest season. And I don't know that I could have told you when harvest was. I probably would have assumed it was summer, like right before school starts, but they farmed soy mostly. Now it's they because they, you know, they got married and now have a whole bunch of kids and thriving farm. But she would say like, it's a harvest. And if I want to see him, I have to go sit on the tractor and ride around the fields with him. Or I cannot see him because it never stops. And that was my first introduction to the world that you live in. It's not news to you, but it was really eye-opening for me back then. Yeah, that's totally how it is. If I want to see my husband, I have to take him lunch or ride in the combine or make an effort to see him. And then the flip of that is that I clear my schedule too, because I know that for me to be gone this time of year, for me to have activities, I don't have a lot of help. So I'm responsible for all of the kids stuff and all of the everything because he's completely consumed. So has reading always been your companion here? Yes and no. When my kids were little and I could control the TV, I think I did a lot more bad reality TV than I do now. Which, to be clear, can still be totally fun. Oh, for sure. We're not judging. We're just saying, yeah. And I hid from the library. So, you know, I think I would have some mom guilt about spending a ton of money on books to keep up with my pace. But in the past year, I thought, you know what? Why don't I join the library? For me, I have to join the library because... I don't live in a place where there's a free local library. What are the statistics on that? Do you know? And I don't know how normal that is. Our county has one, but it's a city library. Mm -hmm. Either way I go, I have to pay. Actually, if you did want to know the data nerd that you are, the Carnegie Library refers to the historical founding of it and often the architecture, but not necessarily how it's run now. Well, it's really pretty. So that makes some sense. Uh, My local is a beautiful Carnegie Library, but it's also a, a city library. And so the only thing I pay is my library fines. And I know that that's not necessarily the norm for a lot of people anymore, but it is It is the Louisville Free Public Library. So you joined up. How much did that cost? Can I ask? I'm not familiar with how that yeah, was. Yeah, it cost $30. And I actually joined two. I joined the one that's in our county, and then I joined the one that's in the town where I buy groceries. You know you're a reader when? You joined two libraries, Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that really upped my game a little bit this year is that I had access to all of these books and I figured out about putting online holds and my kids learned about online holds. And so (laughs) are you one of those people who go into the library with a laundry basket? I'm not that bad, (laughs) but I have to keep the printout. Otherwise I'm like, who has what book and where is it? (laughs) So how far are you from the library? 30 minutes at minimum. Worth it? Totally. (laughs) the one that's in the town where I grocery shop if I go I'm going to pick up milk and I'm going to get books all at the same time and they're really good community-based libraries so they have a lot of programs and they do different events and my oldest daughter actually joined the book club there anywhere I go is going to be about 30 minutes so we just take the guilt off the table and say it's saving us money in buying books and we're getting groceries and we're having some entertainment and it's all worth it. Do you find you read more when you have access to those books? Absolutely. I like having like that deadline. (laughs) 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 Laughing because I relate. It's like a blessing and a curse at the same time. I'm sure you know, like I have 
four or five books. I'm getting emails on holds right now. And then I have four or five library books on my stack, not to mention the ones that I've picked up here and there as a treat. And so it's like, ooh, now what? And where do I go? And my own personal TBR gets kind of put off because I'm focused on these library books with a deadline. Well, yeah, but those library books are on your TBR, aren't they? Totally. Sometimes the new release section is kind of a swirly vortex. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) enticement, temptation, all of those things. So now that you have all these good options, how do you decide what to read next? I try to mix it up. My go-to when things are busy genre is romance because I know that I can do it fast. I can pick it up and put it down easily and it's going to have a happy ending. But I like historical fiction and I really like YA fantasy and I have a couple of book clubs. And so I just try to rotate. Like if I'm reading a romance now, the next book is not going to be in that genre. And it kind of helps me sort my stacks out a little bit. Addie, your actual life is very dependent on the seasons and the rhythm of the year. Is your reading life, does it cycle through the seasons as well? It kind of does. I know right before back to school, we were ramping up for harvest and my kids were in that place where they were so ready to get back in their routine that they were kind of off in their moods too. And my brain wasn't functioning at the same level. So then I really went into lighter books because I didn't feel like I had the brain capacity to do all of the things and read tricky books. But like in the winter, like I feel like right now we can really get into like heavier books because it's more of like blanket weather. And I'm home a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) So when most people think of a seasonal autumn read, they're picturing apples in changing leaves, crisp fall days. And you're picturing a happy ending because that's what you need in the fall. Absolutely. So it sounds like you get your fluctuation in the books you're reading because you do like to rotate, but you also have the seasons themselves turning over and changing the general tenor of your books. Yeah, it kind of changes the pace. I may not always read The Count of Monte Cristo or Gone with the Wind if I'm running a million miles an hour, but I definitely will read The Kiss Quotient. I think a lot of readers relate to that. Well, Addie, I can't wait to get into your books and get some titles for you to read next. Are we looking for fall harvest reads or are we looking for blanket reads today? Oh gosh, I could go either way, but I think fall harvest reads, something happy. In Missouri where you are, when does the harvest typically end? Typically, it's a solid month of October, depending on the size of your farm. This year's a little bit later Uh because we had a lot of rain in the spring. Mm -hmm. Everything was later getting planted. So it's just Mm -hmm. now really starting end of September, 1st of October. Probably for us, it's going to run through, if not a little past Thanksgiving. So you're going to find plenty of things to do with fun reads with a happy ending. Yes. They won't languish unread. Oh, no, not at all. (laughs) Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear more. Addie, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you're reading now. And we will talk about what you should read next. How did you choose your favorites? Well, like I say, I filled out the form really quick. So I thought, what have I read in the past year or so that I keep telling people about? That's a great way to think about it. You know, it reminds me of a lot of personality tests, like the Myers-Briggs, for example. You're not supposed to overthink it. You're supposed to answer with like your impulse response. It's true for StrengthsFinder as well. And I write about that in reading people if you're interested in knowing more, but it sounds like you did the equivalent. So I approve of this plan. Don't be apologetic about it. Great. 
<laughs> so where did that lead you? Addie, what did you choose for your first favorite? A little bit out of my box, but I just couldn't stop thinking about Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. I don't even know what I loved about it. It was such a pretty story. I mean, it wasn't at all, but I could really imagine myself in it and kept turning pages. I remember I read it last winter and it was kind of a long winter anyway, and I couldn't stop. I think I ignored my kids all afternoon and I just thought about Manderly and about the twists and turns. And I, I remember having that, I need to put this book in the freezer moment when <laughs> you know, toward the end. was it Mrs. Danvers? Cause she is creepy. Yes. And when you know, Mrs. DeWinters is going to make some big mistakes and you're like, oh my gosh, I see this coming and I can't change this. And I know what's going to happen. If I keep turning the pages, it's going to happen. So there were moments when I had to like get up and walk around, but I just couldn't stop. And how it all ended was so unexpected. It's one that I've actually given to friends and I've had to talk them through it because, you know, it does read like a classic because it is. And so I'm like, no, just keep going. It's going to pay off so big. (laughs) (laughs) So that's not your usual thing. It's really not because suspense is something that kind of keeps me up at night. But I think because it had that historical feel to it, it was easy to put it in the past and I didn't have to like put it in the future, if that makes any sense. Okay. So that's Rebecca. What did you choose for your second favorite? A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness. I haven't read this one. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. It kind of, for me, encompasses all of the categories of things that I like. It's the story of a woman. She's a college professor and she's a historian her family is made up of witches and she knows this about her past, but she stumbles across a manuscript and she doesn't realize that it's like a big deal that she stumbled across this and all of the other witches and creatures out there want this manuscript. And she's the only one who can access it and find it. And it's a big swirly tale of like what happens next and the people that are after her, but there's a love story in it. There's a historical thread in it. There's the mystery of why is this so important and how is it going to affect everything? So it just kind of has it all. It's a series. So there were three books and I could just really dive into that world. Not that anything compares to Harry Potter, but you know how you get into that (laughs) world and you think you're just so in it and you could live there and you're connected to everything. You just want more. And that's kind of how it felt for me in these books. It just had all of those pieces of mystery, romance, and history that I like. So mystery, romance, and history is your big trifecta. I think so. Yeah. And I don't mind the fantasy thread because this one had, you know, vampires and witches and magic and all of those things. And that's kind of exciting too. So that's some people I know are like, no, we don't do that sort of thing. I only want it to be like real life and I don't need that. I can go into that fantasy world and be happy there. Has that always been true for you? Or is that something that you've learned as you've read more books over the years? I think it's probably something I've learned. I don't remember reading books like that as a kid. I think maybe like as that trend came through when we did Harry Potter and we did Twilight and we did all of those series, you know, several years ago, I think kind of, oh, well, that's fun and just went with it. Addie, what did you choose for your third book? The Bride Test and the Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. We will allow that. (laughs) (laughs) They are just such good heartwarming stories. Like I just loved getting to know people in it. Both books had characters who were on the autism spectrum. It just made the story so much more relatable. I liked being able to feel connected to them and like almost like we were friends. I feel like I get the same vibe from Christina Lauren when I read her books. I want to 
hang out with those people and you just root for them the entire time. And then when they get their happy ending, it's so much more rewarding. She has a new one coming out this month called Twice in a Blue Moon. Is that on your radar? I know. I've had it pre-ordered for like two months. (laughs) All right. I just want to make sure we had that base covered and clearly you are on it. Oh, yeah. So it sounds like those are pretty easy to pick. What about choosing a book that wasn't for you? Did that also come to you right away? You know, I have a hard time with specific book titles because I am pretty good about putting them down. I kind of know where I like to go. But the overarching theme is usually I don't like something that can actually happen. So for example, and this was several years ago, I quickly wrote Jodi Picoult off of my list because I would dream about these things in her books that are so important and so riveting, but then I would dream about them happening to my kids. And I just thought, nope, we can't have that in our life. So what Jodi Picoult does really well is take these like splashy headline news stories and show you actual characters living them out. Yes. Big issues that can be really scary. She makes them feel really real and you don't want that to feel real. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to like historical fiction because I can leave it there. But even some, you know, I said YA fantasy a little bit earlier, but even some like dystopian, I pick up and put down because if I can picture this happening, I don't want that in my life. I'm not going to touch The Handmaid's Tale. Everyone has been like, oh, Addie, you have to read this. It's so good. You have to watch the show. And I know that cannot be something that enters my brain or I will worry about it. So yesterday in my house, I read that Bruce Hunsinger, who wrote The Gifted School, has a new book deal. This book's not coming out for almost two years. But the setup is, what if there's a Category 6 hurricane and it wipes out vast swaths of the United States and we have these cities full of refugees from this massive cataclysmic storm. Totally not for you. Totally not for me. Gotcha. I'm sure a lot of listeners were like, ooh, what's this book? When? But not yours. No. Okay. We can work with that. So Addie, tell me what you're reading right now. I just last night finished The Shell Seekers. Oh, what did you think? I really liked it. I remember in the 80s when my mom read it and when it was like a topic of conversation, like the book. And so when I heard it on One Great Book, I was like, oh, I should pick that up. And it really reminded me of Maeve Binchy. Oh, totally. I see that. I've only read a handful of hers and she has a whole slew. Yes. I've read every single one of them. When Tara Road was on Oprah's list, I absorbed all of her books and it really reminded me of that feeling. I I enjoyed it. What did you like about it? Well, I loved how the chapters were set up, that each one was about a different theme. And I liked the family sweeping story and really learning about their history. And I liked that World War II feel, knowing that it was before it was cool to write about World War II. Okay. It makes me happy that you picked that up. That's a book that really surprised me because of probably misperceptions I had based on my memories of that book in the 80s when I was far too young to read it, but I remember seeing it everywhere. So readers, there's a One Great Book episode devoted to The Shell Seekers if you'd like to hear more. But I'm glad to hear you picked that up, Addie. Yeah, it was really good. Thank you for that. So you just finished The Shell Seekers. Do you know what you're going to read next? I have a library stack, but there's lots of options in it. Okay. And tell me, we already talked a little bit about what you're looking for in your reading life. Anything else I should know? I mean, if you magically are like, hey, this one is a series, that would be cool. Ooh, okay. Especially going into the cooler season, having that, hey, there's a couple of books here in a row, that would be fun. We definitely have some fun stuff we can do. First, let me give you a bonus recommendation. 
It's entirely likely you've read it. I don't want to camp out here because I've talked about this author a lot on the podcast, but you need to know about Tana French's Dublin Murder Squad series. Do you? Have you read these? I have not. Okay. Well, these are twisty mysteries that are... I mean, they're they're meant to have a, a feel of realism to them, mm-hmm. which gives me a little pause. But you love Rebecca and the second novel in her loose series. Like the books are all set in the same fictional universe, but they do not have to be read in order. They're interconnected. The same characters pop up. But in each book, she rotates the point of view. So someone who had a minor role in book three might be the protagonist in book five that the action all rotates around. I actually really love that. I love connecting characters. Well, especially if you're a heavy library user, you're not so dependent on getting the right book at exactly the right time, which I think is really nice for a lot of people. Yeah. Book two in this, again, serious quotes here, series. Um, This is where I started, and it's an excellent place to start because the first book, In the Woods, is a little grisly for my taste. It starts deliberately channeling Rebecca in the first line of this book. I did an episode of One Great Book, so I know I can quote it precisely. The protagonist starts and says, some nights, if I'm sleeping on my own, I still dream about Whitthorn House, which is exactly, last night I dreamt I went to Manderley again. And the whole book has this kind of tone. And it's set in Dublin on a university campus among a group of college students that a detective, because of a eerie coincidence, is sent to infiltrate. They're uh, not quite secret society, but gosh, these people are cozy with each other. It's not gruesome. Like the focus is not on the actual murder. Um, Of course, they're trying to figure out why it happened. But the murder happens offstage at the very beginning of the book, as it often does in a murder mystery, now that I'm thinking about it. It's a psychological suspense, as is Rebecca. And that could be a fun place for you to start. I would advise you to read some reviews um, really closely about Broken Harbor, because that involves bad things happening to kids. And I don't think you're going to want to go there. But The Secret Place, which is another campus story, could be really fun for this time of year. There's something about these campus novels that feel like fall, and the likeness could be really good for that. Or I can see it being a good read for the upcoming blanket season. And she has a standalone book called The Witch Elm that also really nails that like moody, atmospheric vibe. But we're not counting that because I have talked about her a lot. She got her own episode of One Great Book. Plus, I have other books I want to share with you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's take a wild change of pace in mood and setting and tone. Have you read anything by Abby Jimenez yet? I read The Friend Zone. Oh, you did? did. Okay. How was that? Was that a good pick for you? I loved it. All right. Tell us about that, Addie. Forget the main character's name, but I just loved how her story was so real and relatable to so many people because she had a vein of an infertility struggle in it. And that's something so many women can connect to. But at the same time, it was such a good friends to romance love story. And I know that her next book is based off of a character that's in the friend zone. And so I just I think that's mm-hmm. so interesting too. I don't know. That was one where I laughed out loud and I teared up a little bit and I don't do that very often. And I called my best friend and said, okay, you have to put this on your list and you're hitting the nail right on the head. <laughs> Fantastic. So readers who think that they're interested in reading something along these lines, the book starts with like a serious meet cute. I don't remember exactly what happens though to you. She rear-ends him in her friend's car and then they go to the fire station and she's meeting her girlfriend there and he's a fireman. And so he just happens to be there Mm -hmm. and they have all of the typical, you're so annoying vibes for 
so long and he worked for her. And she really likes him, but is super resistant and you're not sure why. Yes. Something else I really liked about this book. So readers like for the open door factor and the general feel, this is a lot like the Helen Wong books, but this book can seriously have you crying on one page because the emotional and sometimes physical pain is intense in this book, but also like it is just, it's hysterical. It doesn't feel like you're being like jerked around emotionally, but it does provide like a combination of heavy and light that feels real and also super readable. It keeps you hooked. You want to know the story and you want to see when it shifts and you want to see that like change and growth and like the connection. And you just really feel both of them in that relationship and connect to it well. I am talking with my hands just so you know, like I'm (laughs) (laughs) emphatically. I'm like, Making connections and rear-ending people. (laughs) (laughs) No one was harmed in the making of this podcast. Okay, well, good news for Abby Jimenez fans, because that was her debut, and it was such a good one. Her new book is called The Happy Ever After Playlist, and it's coming April 14th, 2020. So mark that down. And she would be a good read for readers who are also fans of like Christina Lauren. Absolutely. Like you said. And it's all the same open door level, I think. Christina and Helen and Abby. I think that's a good description. Addie, if you have really enjoyed both those authors, have you read anything by Sally Thorne? No. Oh, that makes me so happy. Okay. Start with The Hating Game. It came out about three years ago and it has a similar feel. So the setup here is a love to hate story, as you might have guessed. And it's about these two coworkers, who work together. And I'm not going to say how he feels about her, but she does not like him. Uh, You know, they work together, they're thrown together. And then the stakes keep ratching up and they end up spending a lot of time together. And they have this chemistry that she really wants to deny, but can't quite because it's just too, uh, and I'm not really sure what to say about it, except if you loved Abby Jimenez and you loved Christina Lauren. She has written a lot of different genres, but if you like those romance stories that like are serious and real and people go to bad places, but it ends up happy and fun, The Hating Game is excellent for that. I'm so excited. If you do enjoy that one, then her next book, 99% Mine, that came out earlier this year would be maybe a fun book to pick up next. Covers are so fun right now. I feel like they're all so pretty and bright. and The hand-drawn cover does really seem to be a serious theme. Yeah. These are no exception. They are so, I mean, they just make you go, oh, I'm talking now with my hand over my heart. Like, oh, it's just so (laughs) cute. So that was just book one, right? Because we just talked about like 19 titles. (laughs) Let's go next with a series. How do you feel about a series? I'm so excited about series. Have you read any Sherry Thomas? I have not. Okay, excellent. I'm happy to hear this. This is a, I mean, it's historical there's mysteries, there's a little romance, and uh, it's just so stinking clever. Charlotte Holmes is a woman who can't do anything because she's a woman back then. Also, she was of genteel society, but she's not really into the things that genteel society values. So she has a solution. She decides to pose as Sherlock Holmes so that she can do something that actually requires some brain power, like solve mysteries, and she gets to do whatever she wants because she's doing, quote unquote, work. But then this is a series. I think there are three books right now. It's called The Lady Sherlock Series. And the first title, which riffs hard on Sherlock Holmes, is called A Study in Scarlet Women. So what happens is that her own family 
is suspected of being involved in a series of uh, London murders. Not only is she doing this because it's more interesting than like sitting around sipping tea in somebody's parlor, but she needs to clear her family's name. So she puts her skills to work to find the real killer. And of course, you can imagine, as so happens in books like these, she finds a team to work alongside her, new friends, and of course, new enemies as well who have no interest in seeing her solve the case. How does that sound? I think that sounds really interesting. Okay. That is A Study in Scarlet Women by Sherry Thomas. And there are three books at this time. That's even better. I love to have, like, let's do the next thing. The next thing. And those would be, I think you could read those in the fall or the, I mean, you could read those by the pool and it would be fine. You know, just generally saying for listeners, I don't know if that's what you do in your real life, but I don't know. There's something about these mysteries. Maybe it's the covers, like the burgundy and navy and hunter green covers that just feel like fall. Isn't that funny that, the cover will make you feel like a different season because we were just talking about the romance, the hand-drawn covers, and they are so bright and fun that they do feel more summery just because of colors. Yeah, they really do. Now, this next book, I think, is an amazing pick for you, but it's going to take some explaining. Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Have you read Lovely War by Julie Berry. I have not. I have looked at it and I thought, I wonder if I should read that, but I've not picked it up. Oh, I think you should totally read this. So she's probably best known prior to now because The Passion of Dulce, it was assigned reading in a whole lot of classrooms. So kids have read it and then their parents have seen it and it may or may not have occurred to them to pick it up. It's a good book. It's worth picking up, but it's not like Lovely War, which is so good. The setup sounds weird. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. This is Greek mythology plus World War One plus an epic romance. And let me tell you where the mythology comes in. This novel begins in 1942 in Manhattan. Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and Ares, the goddess of war, sweep into a Manhattan hotel and take a room. Because of course, why not? But they are thwarted by Aphrodite's husband, Hephaestus. He's the god of forges and fire. And he traps them in a net and says, not so fast. Aphrodite tells him that he doesn't really love her. He doesn't know how, but she can show him what love should look like. So from that starting point, basically what we have is we have three gods looking down on the people. Not really looking down. She's like reminiscing about what she, one of her triumphs back in the day, one of the like true love stories that she had a hand in. And we go back in time to see this young couple meet. It's a really interesting cast of characters. And this is World War One, not World War Two. You did say that you liked the World War Two eras, but World War One isn't done as much. I like that about this book. I know a lot of readers do. But the real heart of the story here is the characters. You meet a young pianist named Hazel and a soldier named James, who's destined for great things, except then he gets sent off to war. There's an African-American jazz musician named Aubrey. The way these characters' lives intertwine is so touching and fascinating. Fascinating, And you were saying that you like characters um, that you can root for and that you feel connected to, that you feel part of their story. What you get is you get to go back in time and see their story. You see how they meet. You see what happens next. You see how the war impacts their lives. But then you zoom out and Aphrodite is like, oh, well, here's what I did here. And here's an important thing you need to know about what's happening. And oh, just wait till you see what happens next. It makes for a really fun telling. It sounds improbable, maybe like what does Greek mythology have to do with 
World, World War One, but it totally works. And I have several friends who have said recently that their book club read this book and it's been the only thing they've read in years that everybody liked. How does that sound? It sounds amazing. I think this is a YA novel. She previously won a Prince Award, which is for excellence in YA fiction. But I was just at the Southern Independent Booksellers Alliance trade show, and one of the uh, booksellers there in a panel was talking about how she loved this book, and she moved it to place differently in the store so that readers who would love it would find it more easily. Because not every adult reader walks in the store and said, oh, I'm looking for a YA romance. So she said that they shelved it differently so that it would find its way to the right readers, and I definitely think you are one of them, Addie. I think you're right. Okay. Addie. Today we talked about, well, we talked about a lot of books, but the three picks are The Hating Game by Sally Thorne, the Lady Sherlock series beginning with A Study in Scarlet Women by Sherry Thomas, and Lovely War by Julie Berry. Of those three books, what do you think you'll read next? I think I'm going to get The Lovely War. It sounds right at my alley. I'm very excited. It does sound like that has a lot of the elements of your trifecta. I can't wait to hear what you think. Addie, thanks for talking books with me today. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Addie, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 205, and it's where you will find the full list of titles we talked about today. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week. If you're on Twitter, let me know there, at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all the What Should I Read Next news and happenings, including my events in North Carolina this week. If you are not on the list, you can fix that now by visiting whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to sign up for our free weekly delivery. If you enjoy this podcast, please help us out. Share it with a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or pick up a copy of my book, I'd Rather Be Reading, for yourself or a friend. These things really make a difference to podcasters and authors, and we appreciate it, and you. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick, with sound design by Kellen Pekashek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.